Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. As the rest of you are turning in your scriptures to Hebrews chapter 13, where we're picking up this week, I did want to share just a couple more verses from the passage I was reading to the girls there just moments ago. 3,000 people were added to the church. And then what? What did they do? Well, I imagine a lot of these people who believed were out-of-towners. They had traveled from very far across the ancient world to come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Now what? They heard the good news about Jesus. They believed on his death for their sins, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And now I bet a lot of folks were making phone calls back home and saying, hey, something's come up. I won't be traveling back this weekend like I had planned. I need to be here for a while. Uh, I can't really explain it all right now, but God has kept his promises, which he made through the prophets. And I I need to stay here in Jerusalem for a while because I have so much that I need to learn. I'll fill you in later. Just know I'm going to be out of town for a while. People made calls back home, or at least they would have if they could have. And then what did they do? Well, chapter 2, verse 42 of, of Acts says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. That means they shared everything. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now to be sure, that was an extraordinary situation, an extraordinary set of circumstances at an extraordinary time. But what they were exhibiting was what we're going to be talking about today in Hebrews chapter 13. They were exhibiting brotherly love, family love. Hebrews chapter 13, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6 together today. The apostle says, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself, that is God himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
what can man do to me? This is the word of the Lord. As we first approach this text, it might be easy to see this as kind of a disjointed series of commands. Like maybe the apostle was just mentally running through a list of things. Oh yeah, I wanted to mention this. I wanted to mention that. Okay, let's just put these in there. But I do believe that if you look at the passage closely and study it, you'll find that there is a common theme. And that theme is spelled out in the very first verse. Let brotherly love continue. This whole passage, verses 1 through 6, is about brotherly love, family love, the type of love that Christians should have and do have because they are in the same family, the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to give you three big ideas to hang your thoughts on today as we work our way through this text. The first one is this ministering to others. All of these start with the letter M. Number one, ministering to others. Number two, maintaining the honor of marriage. Maintaining the honor of marriage. And number three, moving through life with a contentedness that comes from trusting God. Moving through life with a contentedness that comes from trusting God. But all of these things fall under the big idea of Brotherly love. Here in the first verse, he says, let brotherly love continue. Now, let me remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the apostle tells us, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Actually, I believe that's the end of chapter 12 as we go into chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians Let brotherly love continue. What is not in question is that brotherly love will continue. It will continue. As long as Christ's church is on this earth, brotherly love, the love that Christians have for one another because they're in the same family, it will continue. The question is, will you continue in it? Our first point here today, ministering to others. We see it here in verse 2. Don't neglect to show hospitality. I believe the word hospitality in this, in this context literally means um, lodging strangers at your house. Putting people up for the night. This was something that was very important in the early church. Uh, certainly on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people from out of town believed They became part of a group, a body of believers, and they needed places to stay. And so all of the believers pooled their resources and they shared what they had to take care of brothers and sisters in Christ. But that pattern continued throughout the life of the early church. In Acts 21, we can can read just in the first 17 verses a number of instances of Christians showing hospitality to other Christians that they didn't even know. Uh, In Acts 21, I'll just read a few select verses. Uh, The Apostle Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem to be there in time for a feast And in verse 3 it says, After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. They relied on their hospitality. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. 
Verse 7, when we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Everywhere the apostle is traveling to on his journey back to Jerusalem, he's finding brothers and sisters in Christ, many of whom he had never met before. And yet they extended hospitality, generosity. They were hospitable and they welcomed him in. We stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea where we entered the house of Philip the evangelist and stayed with him. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us to Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to stay. When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. Here in this short passage from Acts 21, and we could add to it numerous other instances throughout the New Testament, we see Christian brothers and sisters exhibiting hospitality, generosity to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they didn't know them, if they named the name of Christ. They were hospitable. We should do likewise. We also should be hospitable. The apostle here in Hebrews chapter 13, he reminds his readers that there have been instances in which some people in showing hospitality were actually entertaining angels unawares. Uh, I believe probably the instance that the apostle has in mind comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Genesis 18, 1 through 8, Abraham is seated there outside his tent and he sees three men walking his way. And as they go to pass by, he says, my lords, my lords, come in. It's the heat of the day. Stay with me for a while. Let me give you something to eat. Now, it turned out that those three men were no mere men. In fact, it was the Lord himself who had come to visit Abraham and had come to rescue Abraham's nephew, Lot, from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham entertained these strangers that he didn't know, and they weren't mere men. Be hospitable. As you minister to others, also be compassionate toward those who hurt. We can see this in verse 3. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Be compassionate as you minister to others. That word compassion, it means having the same feeling, with the same feeling, with the same emotion. We could even say sympathy. Be sympathetic. Be compassionate to others who are hurting. Here, these uh, Hebrew Christians who received these words from the apostle, they themselves, many of them, had experienced many hardships, persecutions, and even imprisonments for the name of Jesus Christ. And the apostle is reminding them, you have brothers and sisters who at this very moment find themselves in chains, imprisoned, suffering, not because they've done anything wrong, but simply because they've named the name of Jesus Christ and they've called upon him as Lord. Remember them. Don't neglect them. Don't forget them. And he gives a reason why. He says, remember them as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Put yourself in their place. Empathy. 
sympathy, feel what they're feeling, and reach out to them. This, this phrase here that's translated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily, it could also be translated another way, and I think it's worth looking at. It could be rendered, since you also are in a body. Remember those in prison and those who are mistreated, since you also are in a body. What's the significance of that? Uh, number one, simply this. We should all understand the pains that are associated with being in a body. Some mornings it's difficult to get up out of bed, isn't it? Praise God that your feet can hit the floor, but some mornings it's difficult. How, how do you know that? Because you live in a body. You know what that's like. So since you also are in a body, sympathize with those who are hurting and going through hardships and difficulties. You ought to know yourself. You too are in a body. But I think there's another sense that we could consider here. Since you also are in a body. We should recognize the dynamic of being in a body. A group of believers. The body of Christ. If you have called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're in a body. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's all of us connected together. We are members of one another, as the apostle says in Ephesians 4.25. We are in a body. Therefore, we should sympathize with the other members of that body. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, the apostle says, Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle opens up this idea even fuller. Beginning in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, ah, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. 
Paul picks up this idea again in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, the idea that if one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. If one member of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29, he says, not to mention the other things, there is the daily pressure on me. I'm talking about my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? We are members of a body. What one of us experiences, we all experience. Galatians 6, 2, the apostle says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. In ministering to others, be hospitable. And be compassionate toward those who hurt. But as we move into verse 4, our second point this morning, maintaining the honor of marriage. It says, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. I want you to notice here, you cannot tune out. If you are currently not married, you cannot tune out here because it says marriage is to be honored by all. By those who are married, marriage is to be honored by recognizing God's design in marriage, by faithfulness in marriage. But marriage is also to be honored by all, by those who are unmarried. How so? Well, by respecting God's purpose in marriage and by exercising restraint outside of marriage. And that's what the apostle is getting at here when he talks about God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Marriage is to be honored, honored by all. We honor it by keeping it clean. How do we keep marriage clean? Well, we keep it clean by keeping sexual activity reserved to the bond and the bound of marriage. This applies to those who are married and to those who are unmarried. Marriage is honored by all when it is kept pure, kept clean, undefiled. The reason is, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-20. through 20, The Apostle Paul says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived about this. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, someone will say, everything is permissible for me. Indeed, in the apostles' day, there were individuals who said, well, I'm free in Jesus Christ. I have liberty. The law no longer applies to me. I'm free in Christ. Everything is permissible. The apostle says, but not everything is beneficial. Someone will say, everything is permissible for me. But the apostle rejoins, I will not be mastered by anything. Someone will say, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. Indeed, there were individuals at this time who held to the belief by mixing Greek philosophy 
with Scripture, they arrived at this notion that we keep our spirits pure, but we can do whatever we want to with our bodies because the flesh doesn't matter. In other words, sin all you want. The more the merrier. That doesn't matter as long as your heart is right with God. Well, the apostle condemned that sort of thinking. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. The apostle says, God will do away with both of those. However, the body is not for sexual immorality. The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. That, that's actually the strongest negative that can be spoken in, in that Greek language. Absolutely not. God forbid. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Part of brotherly love involves ministering to others in a way that is hospitable and compassionate. Part of brotherly love involves maintaining the honor of marriage, and that is something that we can all do, whether married or unmarried. We can all maintain the honor of marriage by keeping it clean, keeping it pure. Remember the warning, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. And now, moving out of this idea of maintaining the purity of marriage, we move into our third point, which is moving through life with a contentedness that comes from trusting God. Moving through life with a contentedness that comes from trusting God. I'll direct your attention to verse five. Keep your life free from the love of money. How does that even remotely tie in to the flow of the apostles' logic here? I really do think it does. And we'll see by the time we get to the end here today. Uh, someone who does not maintain the honor of marriage is stepping outside the boundaries. They're running ahead to gratify a lust. They're not operating in brotherly love. They're seeking to gratify a lust. But the same can be said for those who have a love or a lust for money. When we have these kind of inordinate, out-of-bounds lusts, whether it be for illicit activity outside of marriage or whether it be for something like money, we are bound by those things. We are controlled by those things and we are tied, tied up and weighed down by those things. There is a freedom that comes when we learn in brotherly love how to move through life with a contentedness that comes from trusting God. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. 
And now the apostle quotes two passages from the Old Testament. He says, I will never leave you or abandon you. And the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He's quoting, I believe, from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 and 8. Moses is speaking. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid, for the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And and quoting also from Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. There is a contentedness. A contentedness with God's provision that frees us from the love of money. In Matthew 6, 24, the Lord himself says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13, the apostle says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. The apostle has received some sort of benefit or help from the the Christians in Philippi. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to do with little, how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry. Whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. As we learn to move through life with a contentedness that comes from trusting God, we learn to trust God's provision. Learning to trust God's provision in our lives, we have confidence in God and in his promises. It's a confidence that frees us from fear. Remember God's promise. He will neither remove his presence nor his help. The Lord has promised his presence and his help to his people. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. When we learn to trust in his provision and his promises, we can have contentedness, we can have confidence, and we can boldly say, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 16, verse 5. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. Can we say that with the psalmist? Do we believe it? That no matter what life may dish up and serve to us, that doesn't matter. It is the Lord who is our portion and he is the one who holds our future. Lamentations 3.19, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. Can we say that with the prophet Jeremiah who penned those words? The Lord is my portion. No matter what life dishes up, it is the Lord who is my portion. 
He holds my future and he is faithful. When we learn that, we can trust it. We learn how to be contented. Like the Apostle Paul, in whatever situation we find ourselves, we can be contented because it is Christ who gives us strength. It is the Lord who is our portion. He holds our future. We can have confidence in God and his promises, the type of confidence that gives us great boldness. We don't have to be afraid of what man can do to us or what life can dish out. We have confidence and it's rooted in God and in his word. The big theme here today is brotherly love, family love in the body of Christ. I want to, I want to describe that brotherly love from principles drawn from these six verses. And I want to contrast it with self-centered lust because that's really what's going on in this passage. Brotherly family love in the body of Christ contrasted with self-centered lust. Brotherly love, we learned in verse two, is gracious. It's hospitable. Self-centered lust, by contrast, well, with it, occasions for hospitality are either unobserved or regarded as inconveniences. Brotherly love, we learned in verse 3, is compassionate. It sympathizes with those who are hurting. Self-centered lust is incapable of sympathy. It can't see beyond its own nose. Brotherly love, we learned in verse 4, is pure. It's holy. It honors marriage. Whether married or unmarried, it honors marriage by maintaining purity and holiness. Self-centered lust, no, it's only interested in immediate gratification of selfish desires. Brotherly love, we learned in verses 5 and 6, is contented and unfettered. That means it's not chained down. It's free, free to move, free to act because it is trusting in the Lord and his provision. It's contented and unfettered. But self-centered lust is not like this. It's never satisfied for very long. It's tied up. It's weighed down by its desires, its lusts. Brotherly love finally is faithful and confident. Look at those Old Testament passages that are quoted there. I will never leave you or abandon you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? There is this faithful laying hold of the promises of God and putting full confidence and contentedness in God and his promises. And it gives great boldness, great confidence. But we can't say the same about self-centered lust. Self-centered lust, it's a changing thing because it's not loyal. It doesn't trust and it doesn't create or inspire trust. It's fearful, always suspicious, always suspecting because it itself is not reliable. The apostle is encouraging us here to continue in brotherly love. Brotherly love will continue in the church. The question is, will you and I continue in it?
in this brotherly family love. When the Lord is your portion, you are free. You are free to both see and love your brother and your sister. Let brotherly love continue. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have placed us into a body, the very body of the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. We are members one of another. If one of us suffers, we all suffer. If one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. We pray that you would help us to continue in brotherly love as we minister to each other. Let it be with hospitality. Let it be with compassion. Let us maintain the honor of marriage in purity and holiness, whatever our state in life may be. Let us maintain that purity and brotherly love. And Father, we pray that you would, in fact, help us to experience that contentedness that comes when we place our confidence and trust in you, realizing that you are our portion. You hold our future, regardless of what the circumstances of life might dish up. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our portion, our righteousness, our holiness, and the one who has loved us as a brother, we pray. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.